0: How many of you are ready to receive from the Lord this morning? You know, the Lord is looking for someone who will take Him at His Word. He's watching for somebody who will just believe Him. And He sent His Word and it's not going to return to Him void. It's going to accomplish what He sent it to do, but not by itself. It needs faith. And that's why Jesus said, will, he, will I find faith when I return to the earth? And so for you and I, it's very, very important that we just have that childlike, simple trust that what the Lord said is true. And that's where we're going to put our faith this morning. Well, Let's pray. Father, I thank You, Lord, that You were just opening up our eyes this morning That You open up our ears, that You are the one that causes us to see and to hear. Father, stir in our hearts by Your Holy Spirit. We just give Your Spirit permission this morning to completely invade this space to come up in uh, on us and in us. Lord, that Jesus is lifted up and glorified this morning, that is our request. And Lord, I also request that You be our teacher this morning that You are the one who teaches us, and that You are the one who reveals things to us. I thank You for that in the name of Jesus. So good morning again, and I'm going to say good morning to all the people joining us on the internet today. And we welcome you, and we are going to uh, worship the Lord Jesus and in word and in truth. And so to begin with, before we get into the message that the Lord has for us this morning, I want to give you uh, message number one, right? And then there will be message number two and three. So I told you it's going to be a long morning. And the way I understand it is Facebook live feed, you can do an eight-hour session. So we have plenty of time. (laughs) We won't go eight hours, maybe six. Maybe six. So what I wanted to talk to you uh, first this morning about was if you have symptoms in your body. We're talking about our home groups and here at the church building. If you are sick, I don't care if it's... With anything contagious, okay? Whether it be um, the flu or COVID or leprosy or whatever it is, right? If there is something contagious that you have symptoms in your body... Have enough sense not to go out around people. Okay, have enough sense to stay home. And call for us to come and pray for you. This is scriptural. Now, we're not going to turn anyone away that shows up sick. Alright? Just like when the lepers came to Jesus, He he welcomed them. On the same hand, if you go with me to James chapter 5, you will see some instructions here on what a sick person is supposed to do. So I want you to understand that what I'm telling you is scriptural. James chapter 5. Well, I'm trying 1 John 5, and they just don't read quite the same. James chapter 5, and let's look at verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church. That word call means to invite. He should call for the elders of the church to do what? Well, they should pray over him after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The intense prayer of the righteous is very powerful. So here we see, here's how, what you do when you're sick. Instead of going out and possibly giving the, the, whatever it is to somebody else, stay at home, call for us, we will come. Alright? We will come and we will pray for you. Um, the, the, another illustration of this you can find in um, Acts chapter 19 And this is where it says extraordinary miracles were happening at the hands of Paul. Not ordinary miracles, but like extraordinary. It was wild stuff. And in verse 12 of chapter 19, so that even face cloths and work aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Brought to the sick is what I wanted you to catch. The sick weren't brought to Him. In some cases, they were. But in some cases, they weren't. It can work both ways. Alright? Right? And so, we absolutely believe that the promise of God is going to work in your life. If you find yourself sick, we have promises of protection not to get sick. And if you find yourself sick, we have even more promises of deliverance. Of deliverance. Okay? And um, if you... if You know... Just a side note, the CDC just came out the other day and said, oh, by the way, if you don't have symptoms, if you've been around somebody with COVID and you don't have symptoms, no need to get tested. Right? We, we knew that all along, but that's not what, what the media was trumpeting, right? And so, um, I encourage you to... Uh, work. Everything we do, we're going to do by faith. I would also say that None of you are forced to be here. All of you are here by your choice. I've told all my service teams, I've told all my leaders, I've told everybody that I don't require you to be here. You know, if you're afraid, you can stay at home. I will always be here. The doors will always be open. Okay? The Lord Jesus told me, He told me three things concerning this whole shutdown. He said, Stand firm. All right? Stand firm. He told me to stay the course. And he said, keep the church open. And so, for me to do anything other than that would be disobedience. It doesn't matter how bad it gets. I've said this on the very first Sunday of lockdown and I'll say it again. It doesn't matter if if some disease comes along that is 100% deadly with a 100% chance of catching it. And when you catch it, you die. I'm still going to be here. Because it's not a matter of... It's not a matter of how great my faith is. It's a matter of simple obedience. And I will obey the Lord. So, this brings us to anointing and and praying for people. So, the the Word says to anoint them. The elders will anoint them with oil and they will be healed. And then it gives us this extraordinary example of where the person and Paul apparently couldn't get together, so uh, they took a cloth that touched him and... They were healed. And we know that the Lord is not a respecter of persons. We know that the Lord will honors faith. Right? That's what He respects is faith. Not people. And so, um, Karen is in the hospital and she requested that we, we anoint her and pray over her. And of course, they won't let me in there. And so, we're just going to do what they did here. And we're going to send a cloth. There's nothing holy in this cloth. It's just a piece of cloth, right? But yet, it's going to be the point of contact. That where her faith is released, our faith is released, and that the Lord is going to touch her. Alright? So, in that light, Father, we just anoint Karen with the oil of the Lord, and I thank You, Father, for your healing power right now. Your covenant of life and health that you have promised. That you, what you did on the cross. Jesus, you said it is finished. Yeah. So we just call sickness and disease in her body finished in the name of Jesus Christ. And we call you to full strength and full health, Karen. Karen, every cell in your body, every atom in your body must worship and submit to the finished work of Jesus Christ and be full of strength, full of life, full of health. Father, when this cloth is brought in, Lord, I just ask you to, to overshadow her in that moment and that her faith will rise up mightily and she will receive her healing in Jesus' name and amen. So, I had a question come up to me this week about tempting God. And is it not tempting God? Some people think that we are tempting God by coming in here and by having church, by not yielding to all the spirits of fear that have invaded the world, and that how can we just claim God's promises? Isn't that tempting God? And so, I got to thinking about that, and I thought, well, maybe it would be good for all of us if we just took a quick look at what is tempting the Lord. So go with me over to Matthew chapter 4. Again, this is not uh, this is like sermon number two, I guess. We're not to the sermon yet. Matthew chapter 4, and I'll just start reading in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I'll bet he was. Then the tempter approached him. Do you think he might have been weak in flesh at this point? Yeah, I mean, he spent 40 days fasting. He's probably in a weakened state. You know, that's one of the times the enemy will try to attack you is when you are physically weak, when you are physically tired. I experience personally a lot more attacks and temptations from the enemy when I am physically tired at the end of the day than I do in the morning. I'm a lot more tempted to feel down and depressed than in the, at, the, at night than I am in the morning, right? I don't yield to that temptation. But my point is, is when you're tired, when, when you are weaker physically, I'm not talking spiritually, Physically, that's when the enemy will come and try to hit you. The enemy knows that our body carries a very significant influence <laughs> over us, right? I mean, there's people that are ruled by their stomach, right? All right, enough of that. I'll get to meddling. Verse 3 Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So it's an attack. It's all about attacking Jesus' identity and purpose and His destiny. It's about attacking His... uh, If you are the Son of God, prove it. He's not only trying to get Him to prove it, but He is trying to get Him to doubt it. Because why would Jesus need to prove something that He already knows? But if He can get Him to doubt, Maybe I can get him to try to do something spectacular to prove it. And so, and not only that, he's playing off of his hunger using a physical need. But he answered, Jesus answered, It is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God true life, the word of life. The word of God is life. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Again, an attack on his identity. An attack on him being the Son of God. So for it is written, he he quotes Psalms 91 to him. Quotes Psalms ninety-one. I mean, how many here have been using Psalms ninety-one during this whole season of sickness? And I have, man. We've read it together a bunch Sunday mornings. So he uses, He says he will give his Jesus or, or the devil quotes. He will give his angels orders concerning you. They will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. So, are you really the son of God? Prove it by jumping off of here, and Psalms 91 will protect you if you're the Son of God. And what does He say about that? Jesus told them it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. Do not test the Lord your God. He is quoting something from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. It's a direct quote. And let's go over there and see what that says. What's in Deuteronomy? Why would he quote Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16? This, This is what it says Do not test, tempt the Lord your God as you tested him at Massa. Don't test him like you did at Massa. Well, what happened at Massa? What's he talking about? Well, let's go over to Exodus 17. Exodus 17, in verse 1. So remember, the children of Israel have lived in Egypt. They have witnessed all the plagues. They've witnessed how God brought them out. Brought them out in wealth. They've witnessed His deliverance at the Red Sea. After the Red Sea, they went, they went through the Red Sea. The Egyptians were destroyed. They go out into the wilderness and, and bitter water was made sweet. And then they start receiving manna. And then the quail come and feed them. I mean, they have witnessed God's goodness over and over and over, His faithfulness to them. They've witnessed it. Now, in chapter 17, it says, the entire Israelite community left the wilderness of sin, moving from one place to the next, according to the Lord's command. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So the people complained to Moses, give give us water to drink. Why are you complaining to me? Moses replied to them. Why are you testing the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses. Did they need water? Yeah, right? But they're looking at man as their provider rather than the Lord. And if they've, just been, if they've been paying attention at all, they'd realize he's not going to let us starve out here. Verse 3, but the people thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you ever bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What should I do with these people? In a little while they will stone me. And the Lord answered Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take the rod you struck the Nile with in your hand and go. I am going to stand there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. And when you hit the rock, water will come out of it and the people will drink. Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massah and Meribah. Because the Israelites complained and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Here we see, testing the Lord was complaining and it was saying, huh, is the Lord really? It's scoffing at what He's done for you before. And in spite of what He's done for you before, He's going, hmm, is He even here? I mean, He's rescued me from, from... cancer and from previous flus, but coronavirus. There are a lot of people tempting the Lord right now by their walk of fear. Let's go to another Scripture. Numbers 14. Numbers chapter 14. Verse 22. Um, let's start in verse 20. Now, what had just happened was The report about Canaan, they hadn't entered Canaan land yet, they sent the the spies into the land, the scouts, they came back, most of them had an evil report, the people were like, oh, we can't go in, and um, Joshua and Caleb were like, yes, the Lord will give it to us, he's promised, we can do it, everyone's like, no, and they decide they can't go in. So the Lord says, all right, fine, you're not going in. They decide, oh, now we're going in. And they went up and tried and of course failed. And the Lord sends them back out to the wilderness. And now He pronounces judgment on them. In Numbers 14, I'll start reading in verse 20. The Lord responded, I have pardoned them as you requested. He's talking to Moses. Yet as surely as I live and as the whole earth is filled with the Lord's glory, none of these men who have seen my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tested me these ten times and did not obey me will ever see the land I swore to give their father's. None of those who despised Me will see it. They tested the Lord ten times. You know, they saw His glory again and again. They saw what the Lord would do on their behalf. And then as soon as they got into problem again, they were all in doubt. They were all in fear. They were all accusing, Lord, where are You now? And they even refused to obey Him. And those two things together is what is considered tempting the Lord. Now let's come all the way back to Jesus standing on the pinnacle of the temple. And when the devil says, jump, I mean, if you are truly God's son, if you really are, I just show it and Psalms 91 will be true for you. And Jesus doesn't take the bait because he recognizes that for him to do so would be doubting the Lord. And I mean, if anyone has seen what God can do, he has, right? So he's already seen the goodness of God and for him to be in unbelief and say, well, um, uh, maybe it's not true. So he could not take that bait and it would have been disobedient for him to do so. so. So those two things are what are tempting the Lord. People will sometimes confuse a stand of faith with tempting the Lord. You know, there is such a thing as presumption. And going your own path and thinking the Lord will protect you in spite of Him telling you to do something different. You know, people tell you, stay at home today, don't go out. And then you go out and get into a car accident and you go, well, why didn't Psalm 91 work for me? Because you didn't obey the Lord. Right? Now, does that mean every time a calamity happens was because you didn't obey the Lord? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just simply saying sometimes that is the case. There is such a thing as presuming that you have the protection of God when you have walked out of His protection. And willfully putting yourself in front of a truck on the highway and claiming Psalms 91 just to test and see if it works would be called presumption and tempting the Lord. But willfully going into a sick house and laying hands on someone is not tempting the Lord simply because the Word said go do it. Jesus said they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. He said call for the elders. They'll come and anoint you and pray over you and you'll recover. So now you are just simply being obedient and you qualify for the protection. And God forbid, for some reason, you find that, whoa, I still got sick. Well, guess what? There's deliverance for you. There's deliverance. Hallelujah. All right. That was sermon number two. Thanks for coming today. Several weeks back, um, maybe, maybe four weeks ago, I think. That morning I got up, and some of you were here and may remember me saying this, and well, the night before the Lord had told me, don't prepare a sermon on paper for tomorrow morning. just prepare your heart. And so that's what I did. I spent time in prayer, and, and I got up real early Sunday morning, and I was praying, and the Lord told me, "Go read the book, of da- or not the book. Go read in Daniel." And so I read like the first six chapters of Daniel. Until the Lord said, okay, that was far enough. And um, as I did that, and I came to the service fully expecting that the Lord's going to bring a sermon out of Daniel for you all. And I thought that's where he was going, right? Well, during worship, the Lord had me do something completely different. And it wasn't even remotely close to Daniel. And I was like, oh, well, that was weird, okay. And so um, later that same day, that evening... I had never been to a Threshold Church and um, I decided, well, I want to, you know, I've been wanting for a very long time to visit the church and they had just started having their services on Sunday evening and, well, it's a little hard to go visit other churches when you're the pastor Sunday morning. And so uh, this worked perfect for me and so Jen and I went and, and were guests over at Threshold and had a wonderful time and um, Pastor Jake Cale gets up. And guess what he preaches? He starts a series on Daniel. I'm like, what's going on, Lord? And um, during the sermon, the Lord ministered to me that he wanted me to... That the reason he had me read Daniel and start, start saturating in that was not because... Well, he said is because he wanted me to preach it in Colorado when we went out there. And that's where we were last weekend. We had a wonderful meetings. Um... Just had a wonderful time out there with our, with our church family, Church of the Word International in Colorado, Delta, Colorado. And we, we uh, went out there and uh, I preached on, on Daniel. We, we talked about standing firm. That's the title of our message this morning, standing firm. And we used Daniel as a case study. And so uh, while I was out there, the Lord said to me, He said, I want you to go home and preach this at home. And I said, well, Lord, yeah, but what about all the threshold people that come? They've just heard a whole bunch of Daniel. You know, I feel sorry for them. And the Lord said, no, we as a body need to hear it. So you need to deliver it. And so I'm believing that those of you that have just recently been listening to sermons of Daniel, that you're going to be blessed, uh, doubly blessed. All right. And hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, if you would go with me before we go to Daniel, turn to two openings in your Bible 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and Ephesians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And if you'll look at verse 13, this is the verse we're going to focus on. 1 Corinthians 16.13. 13 it says, Be alert. So that means watchful, ready, expectant. Be alert, expectant. Not dull, asleep, and something else. But expectant. Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Stand. Everyone say stand firm in the faith. Act like a man. That's what it says. Act like a man. Some translations say be manly. And it really means like a man of valor. A man of valor. Act like a man. Be strong. Be strong. You know, you can, you can be like a man of valor and be female too. Right? If we can, right, if, if, if us men can be the bride of Christ, you guys can act like a man too. So be alert, stand firm in the faith, act like a man, be strong. You know, the Old Testament prophet said, Let the weak say, I am strong. I am strong. And so if you feel weak, man, open your mouth. Do what the prophet said. I am strong. And then the little voice goes, you're a liar. That's the devil. all right, Or an evil spirit. Right? Trying to discourage you. You've just now identified what his voice sounds like. Don't listen to that guy. Say it again. I am strong. strong. Ephesians chapter 6. So we're going to be firm in the faith. We're going to stand like a man. We're going to be strong. Ephesians 6, we're going to be at, in, in looking toward the end of the chapter. Let's look in about verse 10. It says, finally, brethren, be strong. Be strong or be strengthened in the Lord and in His vast strength. That's His grace coming to help you. That's what the grace of God is. The grace of God doesn't overlook things. It empowers things. The grace of God enables you to live above sin. The grace of God enables you to stand firm. The grace of God enables you to be a man or woman of valor. And so, he says, be strong in the Lord and in His vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can do what? Stand against the tactics of the devil. The devil has tactics he has trained for thousands of years now in the best way to trip up human beings in the best way to to trick them with schemes and to to ensnare them into his plan into his way of thinking and doing things and one of his primary ways of doing it is with fear all right we see that all the way around, all around us right now in this age so we're going to be aware of his of his tactics for our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. Now understand that, okay, let me ask this question. Where does the Spirit of God live? Within me. We, the, the Word tells us again and again, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Spirit of God lives on the inside of us. We are His temple. And how does the Lord, one of, one of the primary ways that the Father touches people is through His people. Right? You are the hands and feet of Jesus. He, Jesus started a work, we are to continue it on. And So the Father touches people through people. Well, in the same way, this is a tactic of the devil. He likes to influence people through people. He wants to touch people because he's an imitator. There's nothing original about him. And he wants to do the same thing. So I want to influence others and touch others through people. And so Paul reminds us here that, listen, when other people are being the problem, remember, it's not against flesh and blood that are, we're struggling. It's against the spirits that are operating them or that they are under the influence of. Verse 13, this is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. Man, not only are we going to stand, we're going to put up a fight. We're going to push back. We're not giving in in the evil day. And having prepared everything. so you've done all your training. You've got all your gear in order. Take your stand. After you've done everything to stand, Now stand, he says. After you've done everything to stand, now stand. And he tells you the tools to use in that standing process. And we're not going to take the time to go through it all today. But you see there multiple times we're told to stand. Go with me to the book of Daniel chapter 1. I have to preach so fast. I need the Lord's help for me to speak clearly, articulately, and quickly. and And the Lord to help you hear quickly and process quickly You know there was a chaplain in World War II by the name of Stoddart Kennedy and he was an extraordinary person he was a God fearing man and he was uh, took very seriously the charge of looking after those soldiers that were entrusted to him and after their spiritual warfare and so he would go right into the most dangerous places with them and uh, pray over them and all these things. And of course, he saw all kinds of death around him and, and because they were often right on the front lines. And at one point, they were going through somewhere in France. And he, Chaplain Kennedy wrote a letter to his 10-year-old son back home in the States. And this is what he wrote. The first prayer I want my son to learn to say for me is not, God keep daddy safe. But, God, make daddy brave. And if he has to do hard things, make him strong to do them. Son, he goes on writing, Son, life and death don't matter. But right and wrong do. Daddy dead is daddy still. But daddy dishonored before God is something too awful for words. I suppose you would like to put in a bit about safety too, and mother would like that too, I'm sure. Well, put it in afterwards. For it really doesn't matter nearly as much as doing right. As doing right. We need people like this man that have realized they are not their own. They have been crucified with Christ and dead things don't have a will. Right? Right? That They are not their own. And the world is crying out for people who are willing to take a stand. People that are willing to stand up and speak the truth. Daniel chapter 1, we're going to start there. Daniel is our case study. In verse 1, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king King of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. The Lord handed Jehoiakim, King of Judah over to him, along with some of the vessels from the house of God. Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon to the house of his God and put the vessels in the treasury of his God. Now, an interesting side note here is historians, other historians that have written about this, what had actually happened was the Babylonian army had met the Egyptian army. Because the Egyptian army was kind of the ruling party over Jerusalem, and the king Jehoiakim was paying tributes and everything to Egypt. And the Egyptian army met the Babylonian army way up north, and the Babylonian army defeated them, so that now made them the superpower, right? And so they come marching down to Jerusalem, and basically all they had to do was show up and say, hey, you guys now belong to us because we conquered Egypt. And so when they show up, Nebuchadnezzar, according to other, um, other historians, Nebuchadnezzar was still the, uh, still the general at that point, point. and as they were going to Jerusalem, his father died back home, the king. And so he rushes home with a few of his soldiers to take over the kingship, to receive the kingship, and he sends his general and the rest of the army on to Jerusalem, and then his general... and and they bring what we see next, all these vessels and everything back to the house of God. But it's attributed to King Nebuchadnezzar because it happened in his time and under his kingship. You know, Babylon at this point in history is now a world superpower. right? But we also recognize that there's many parallels in Scripture that Babylon is often referred to as the world system today. You know you read through revelations, and it talks about the Babylon as the world 's system so let 's continue on in verse three. The king ordered Ashpenez, the chief of the court eunuchs, to bring some of the sons of Israel, the sons of Israel, from the royal family, and from the nobility their princes so he 's bringing the these young men, these princes, uh, bring these young men without any physical defect, good looking suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace, and to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. The king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. They were to be trained for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to serve in the king's court. Among them, from the descendants of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief eunuch gave them different names. Now, a point of interest here is um, it was at the king's command because if you look in chapter five, verse twelve of Daniel, it says the king was the one who named them. Well, here it says the chief eunuch named them, but it must have been at the king's command, so it was attributed to the king. So, the uh, verse seven, the chief eunuch gave them different he gave different names to Daniel. He gave the name Belteshazzar to Hananiah, Shadrach to Mishael. Meshach and to Azariah, Abednego. So here we see these four teenage princes. They are taken captive and the assignment is turn them into Babylonians. Isn't that the world's assignment still today? Turn the church into Babylonians. And so they're going to they want them to be completely assimilated into the Babylonian culture, you know, in in food, in music, in every kind of literature, and science, and religion, and all these different ways. They want in language. They want them to become Babylonian in every way. And I believe that, um, you know, they, this was an attack on their identity. Um, not only did he change their names, which is an attack on identity, he also I believe they all were made eunuchs. And why would I say that? Well, remember King Hezekiah. Remember how King, this is a hundred years earlier, King Hezekiah had invited the Babylonian king in and had showed him all the wealth and riches of the temple and of the treasury. And after the Babylonian king leaves, Isaiah the prophet comes in and says, what did you do? And so he says, oh, I showed him everything. And so the Lord had a word through the prophet Isaiah to Hezekiah and in I'll just read it to you. You don't need to turn there. Isaiah 39, 5-7 through 7 is what I'm going to read. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. The time will certainly come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your descendants who will come from you, remember these princes, these nobility guys. Some of your descendants who come from you will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So I believe that's talking about these guys right here. That they were taken and there was such an attack on their identity, they're made eunuchs, they're renamed, the whole thing. And yet, even in the midst of all of this, the changes on the outside of their body can't change what's on the inside. Outward circumstances did not dictate their inward realities. Okay? You guys can draw the parallels for today. So the king renames them. You know, their their Israelite names were names that when you said their name, you immediately knew their nationality and the God they served. Because all of these guys' Israel Hebrew names were names that were connected to Elohim and to Jehovah. Jehovah. Part of Elohim and part of Jehovah was in each one of their names. And so this was a major identity thing, even against their religion. And so when the king has them renamed, he gives them names, guess what? After his gods. Right? He gives to Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and Bel was the prince... Well, actually, let me tell you the meanings of the Hebrew names first. Daniel means Elohim is my judge. Hananiah means Jehovah has favored or graced. Mishael means who is what Elohim is. Or who is God's equal, you could say. Azariah means Jehovah has helped. Now, here's the new names and their meanings. Belteshazzar was given to Daniel. Bel is the chief god of the Chaldeans. Okay, Belteshazzar. And it means Bel's prince, treasure keeper. That's what Daniel's name means. Shadrach is named after the sun god, Ra, And his name means royal inspiration from the sun. Meshach is named after the goddess Shishak. I know that sounds weird, you know. We got the she shed, he shed, she shacks now, I don't know. <laughs> goddess Shishak, goddess of Venus, okay? And um, she was the goddess of love and mirth. And it, just an interesting side note, remember years later when uh, the king Belshazzar, Uh, when the handwriting came in and wrote on the wall and they were judged, they were actually, that celebration was to this goddess. And then Abednego is named after Nebo, the fire god of Mercury. And his name means servant of Nebo. Meshach's name meant guest of a king. I don't think I said that. So all of this is an attack on their identity. There is all kinds of attack on your identity of holiness, your identity of righteousness, on your identity of peace. There is all kinds of attack on your right standing with God all around us. You're surrounded by noise. You're surrounded by this on every side. And too often we're just like that frog in the pot that the heat keeps getting turned up on and we don't recognize it. Verse 8, Daniel determined in his heart, he He purposed, he resolved, he made a determination in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. Well, what was wrong with the king's food and wine? Dedicated to idols, that's right. The king's food was first set and dedicated to demons, and then it was brought in and served to them. And so he's like, I'm not eating it. I mean, this is the king's provisions. This is like the finest food of the land is being put in front of them. And the fact that they're captives and they're being kept in the palace and they're being given the king's portion of food, this is amazing favor for them. Except, small problem, it was first offered to idols as they would do. And maybe some of it was like unclean things that they couldn't eat. So Daniel recognizes if I take unclean things in, are you hearing me? If I take unclean things in, I defile myself. I defile myself. And so, Jesus said, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you, but it's what goes into your eyes and ears and comes out of you that defiles you. But you can only take so much of something in before it begins to come out. And so you must guard your heart, as Proverbs says. So Daniel, being the man of conviction and boldness that he is, he he determines he's not going to defile himself with the king's food. Now just notice he's by himself here. It doesn't say the others are with him. And with the wine he drinks. So he asked permission. So even though he made a solid determination, he's still being honorable. He goes and asks permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. God granted Daniel favor and compassion with the chief eunuch. Yet, or in spite of this favor and compassion, he said to Daniel, my lord the king assigned your food and drink. I am afraid of what would happen if he saw your faces looking thinner than those of the other young men your age. You would endanger my head with the king. You would endanger my life. The literal translation is head. So apparently it had been like, off with his head. So Daniel's request is denied. His request is denied. He's he's up against a mountain in his life right now. He's just a young man. He doesn't have lots of experience. He doesn't have a lifetime to draw on. But what he does have to draw on, listen, these guys knew the word that they had at that point. They would have known Isaiah, they would have known the previous prophets, because they were the sons, the princes, and they were studying. It's why they said we're not eating this food, because they knew the law. They knew that they weren't supposed to eat this food. Wouldn't compromise have been real easy right here? Strange land. Shoot, they're probably going to cut my head off if I refuse. What you think you're too good for our like amazing food that we give you? Off with your head. You know, it's not like they were asking them to worship an idol. I mean, it's just food. It's just food. In fact, we can even look back at it and say what well, Jesus said is not what goes in your mouth that defiles you. So, you know, looking back, we can say, surely they could have just made an excuse here. I'm pray over it twice. Sanctify it a little bit more. You know, it's offered an idol. It's not like they're being persecuted. This isn't Persecution. But yet he's making a stand for a conviction that he has on the inside. Surely God would understand. Don't you think? I mean, after all, it's for the safety and good of someone else. He might lose his head if you don't eat this food. It's for their good. It's for their benefit. Just eat the food. Just wear the mask. Did I say that? Just eat the food. It's for other people's benefit. I mean, if Daniel really cared and loved other people, he would have, if he would have really cared and loved this chief eunuch, he would have just ate and saved his head. But instead, he was willing to endanger someone else's life. What kind of moral arrogance is this Daniel guy? Are you drawing the connections between what we are facing today as a church? What people are saying because we're open? No, like Daniel, we've determined in our heart, we're just going to obey the Lord. Jesus, or in Hebrews, it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Again, everything that Jesus did was, there was times he went alone to pray, yes, but everything else was with people, with people. See, I heard Pastor Jake Cale say something that I really liked. He said, small compromise leads to big compromise. And if you make that small compromise, man, it's not going to be long and you'll make a little bit bigger one. And you'll excuse a little bit bigger one. And if you let enough time click by, suddenly you are making massive compromise that you never would have thought you would have made way back over here at that first one. And this is setting the tone for, the, for Daniel's life for the rest of his life and where he's going to go. Because you know the other stories that are coming. And so... Little compromise leads to big compromise. The good news is little victories lead to big victories. And you can grow in the other direction. So this this Babylonian system that we live in, we don't have to yield to it. We don't have to give in to it. We can take a stand because this system that we're in, the world's system is not neutral. It's not just nothing. It is actively designed and purposed to trip you, to take you down, to ensnare you, to pull you in and get you wrapped up where you can't move. And when you compromise with Babylon, that connects you to Babylon. And when you're connected to something, that means you're tied to it. We call that bondage. That world system is Antichrist. It goes everything against the Gospel. Everything against Jesus, what He told us to do. And it wants to seek to force you to capitulate to them. Force you to come into compliance. Force you to make, make concessions to them. And doesn't this sound a whole lot... I mean, you guys are already drawing all the lines, but the last five months that we've faced, right? So we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're in Babylon, but we're not of Babylon. We've been called to be separate, to be holy, to be peculiar. We're to be salt and light. We're to make a difference. Our decisions are supposed to be based in kingdom realities, not earthly facts. But on kingdom promises. On the Word of our Master. That's what we make our decisions based on. Verse 11, let's keep reading. So Daniel said to the guard, or to Melzer is his name, I believe, whom the chief eunuch had assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, says, please test your servants for ten days and let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. See, Daniel refused to accept no for an answer. He's just going to keep trying. Verse 13, then... then examine our appearance and the appearance of the young men who are eating the king's food and deal with your servants based on what you see so here we see that daniel's boldness gave his three friends boldness as well they've now joined him and it's now not me daniel determined in his heart it's us we test us in this let us do that And His boldness gave them permission to be bold. Your boldness gives people permission to be bold. Your willingness, your boldness, your courage in the face of fear and demonstrating that you can walk in a world not being afraid gives other people the permission to do the same thing. Listen, because I threw a comment out about a mask, I want you to understand that if you want to wear a mask, I don't have a problem with you wearing a mask. And uh, in this church house, You know, we hug each other, we love each other, and uh, if you don't want to be hugged, just wear a mask, everyone will get the message, right? They're probably not going to hug you if you're wearing a mask, so if you don't want that kind of close contact, I'm just telling you how to send the message without standing like this everywhere you go in the building, right? I'm not wearing one, Um, that's that. All right, where were we? Verse 13, oh, he says, examine our appearance. And um, make a decision based on what you see. Verse 14, he agreed with them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days they looked better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who were eating the king's food. Right here we have proof that vegetables don't make you lose weight. (laughs) They ate vegetables and got fatter. You see that? (laughs) That or maybe miracles still happen. I'm going to go with that one. So, Melzar continued to remove their food and wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. God gave these four men knowledge, understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. I mean, these guys are like amazing. Do you think God would have given them this if they would not have honored him? The Lord honors those who honor him. That's what Scripture tells us. And it's time we honor His Word. It's time we obey. That's how you honor His Word is by obeying it. Verse 18, At the end of the time that the king had said to present them, the chief eunuch presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king interviewed them, and among all of them no one was found equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. And so they began to serve in the king's court in every matter of wisdom. So that's no matter left out in every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about, he found them ten times better than all the diviner priests and medians in the entire kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of the king of Cyrus, which was many years later. So here we see the favor of God coming to those who are humble enough to obey Him. It takes humility to do what the Lord said to do. It takes humility to say, Lord, You know best, even though in the natural that looks silly to get out of a boat and walk towards You, and Peter did it. Of course, he had the desire to do it. Apparently, none of the others had the desire. Your desire will dictate a lot. Just random for free, somebody out there needed that. So chapter 2, is, is we're not going to read it, um, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And so he puts out a test, he's like, all right, all my magicians, come tell me what I dreamed, and what the dream means, and I'll know you're for real. And they all say, well, we can't do that, you have to tell us the dream, then we'll tell you what it means. Yeah, that's slick. And, um, (laughs) of course, that didn't work. So he says, I'm I'm going to, uh, he makes like this famous threat that was like the threat of all threats back then. He would be like, man, if you guys don't do what I tell you to do, we're going to kill you and make your house a dung heap, garbage heap. And that was like the ultimate threat back then. So of course, they couldn't do it. So he sends out the order to kill everyone. Daniel finds out about it. He goes to the king. He asks for some time. He said, I can tell you what it means. And he goes home and says, guys, pray. Pray the Lord needs to show us what the dream was and what it was. And so Daniel has a vision and he sees it, he gets the interpretation, he goes in, tells the king what the dream meant and he saves all the magicians and everyone's lives. And just a side note, this is for free. If you use a, a, a dream book to, to discern dreams or to figure out what a dream meant, you know, throw that book in the trash. That's what the Spirit of the Lord was given to us for. He's not in a box where things always mean the same. Alright, Daniel chapter 3 now. So, between chapters 1 and 2, they were very close together just a year or two apart. But now, chapter 3 is like 15-20 years later. So, quite some time has passed now. And we're going to begin reading uh, in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue. Now we don't know if this statue was the image that he had dreamed about in the previous chapter or if it was just a different idol. It doesn't say it was in the statue of a man, it just says it's a statue. It's 90 feet high, it's 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to assemble the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to attend the dedication of the statue. King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces assembled for the dedication of the statue the king had set up. Then they stood before the statue Nebuchadnezzar had set up. A herald loudly proclaimed, People of every nation and language, You are commanded, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum in symphony with every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the gold statue the King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Back then, they had heralds. They would stand on street corners and announce the news. Anytime a proclamation went out, they would have heralds that would shout that out across cities, and would run it from one city to the next, and would announce these things. Today we call that the media, right? That's, that's, what, that's what they were designed to do. And so, just like everyone is expected to step to the tune of the herald here, we are expected to step to the tune, the symphony of music that the media is singing to us. And notice they all sing the same song. It is a symphony of an arranged narrative that is being presented to us and it is designed to put you into fear. It is designed to manipulate you. It is designed to get your compliance. And if you don't, well then, we'll shame and cancel and all the other things. You know, the media holds amazing power in our nation and in the world. And I don't think we have a coronavirus problem as much as we have a media problem. They are the loud false prophets of our day. So at the sound of the music, at this orchestrated, planned music, I'll just say this, you know, um, in the world and in our nation, some people attribute too much smarts to a few key people and think that there's a few key people running everything. And I beg to differ. I believe there are some key devils that are inspiring people and they're the ones orchestrating it and you see a a conglomeration happening of people coming together almost in unity and destruction and it's not because someone so smart at the top gave the order as much as it's the evil spirits inspiring them. They're, They're doing the same thing across the nation. And so, again, remember, our battle is not against flesh and blood. That doesn't mean we won't take action in the flesh and blood when necessary, but that's not where the battle is. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory comes from the Lord. Verse 6, Whoever does not fall down to worship Immediately, we'll be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. You know, it's the same way now. If you won't comply with the narrative that's coming across, if you won't comply to the illegal mandates, if you won't comply to the LGBTQ X Y Z whatever new initials they've added on to it, if you won't comply to that, well, then you're just canceled. I mean, that's today's fiery furnace. We just cancel you. We'll shame you. We'll we'll attack you and all. You're scum. You deserve death. You know, a lot of you may not know it, but early on in the lockdown, there was someone who had posted a photo of our church parking lot full of cars on Lancaster's online section of their newspaper. And it, it, someone had, there was an article and someone in the comments of one of the articles had posted a photo of our church parking lot. And it was amazing how many people wanted us all to die. The same thing. If you won't bow at the sound of the symphony... Burn them. Man, you know, here's the sad part. Some of the severest criticisms and some of the hardest pushback has come from within the body of Christ. Man, the church has become Babylonian. They have become assimilated into the culture and it has gotten, they've become blinded. You know, the Word says the whole earth is under the sway of the evil one. And the God of this world blinds minds and, and eyes so that they can't see the light of the Gospel. And so that's what's going on in the world. And it's sad that so many in the church have been affected by that Spirit and allowed the Babylonian Spirit um, room in their life. But we're not going to. Father, any place that we have done this, I ask You to reveal it to us so that we can change from it, repent from it, and walk in holiness. Alright, verse um, 7. When all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, in symphony with every kind of music, people of every nation and language fell down and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Some Chaldeans took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse. This word literally means to eat the pieces of. To maliciously accuse the Jews. Hmm. You know, that's just like people today, isn't it? If you don't bow at the sound of the symphony, we're going to report you. you know, we had a police officer show up um, maybe the second or third Sunday of lockdown because someone reported us, called us in. And we had a great conversation and that all ended well and went well. I'm just saying somebody reported us. And in the same way, it's happening today. It was popular to call those people Karens now, but I'm going to ask you, don't do that. It's not fair to all the godly Karen's that we have in this house and around the world. It's a beautiful name to be ruined with a moniker of, of that kind of action. All right, let's keep reading. Verse nine. Then uh, they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, "May the king live forever!" Oh, sure, butter him up, make him feel nice. That'll. Be... You as king have issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, in symphony with every kind of music must fall down and worship the gold statue. Whoever does not fall down, worship will be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. There are some Jews you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up, you see how they are assigning motive now. They're assigning motive. They just want to ignore you, king. They want to be dishonorable to you. That wasn't at all what their heart was, was it? We can see that in how they spoke to him when they come and have a conversation with the king. Verse 13, Then in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I've set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and symphony with every kind of music, fall down, worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship it, you will be immediately thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who will rescue you from my power? Question. Who is the God that will rescue you from my power? Seems like a pretty black and white situation here, doesn't it? I mean, they know the Ten Commandments, these men. And the Ten Commandments read like this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides Me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or the earth below or in the waters under the earth. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the father's sin to the third and fourth generations of those who hate Me. Seems black and white. But I'm going to suggest something different to you. I don't think it's as black and white as we like to believe. I think they could have come up with some reasons to just bow down. In fact, I think they could have used Scripture to do it. There was something that happened that they would have known about and that they could have used. Do you remember Naaman? Naaman has leprosy. He's from a different kingdom, a different nation. He comes to the king of Israel or Judah. I don't remember which one it was. says, heal me. And the guy's like, what, are you trying to pick a fight? I'm not God. I can't heal people. And Elisha hears about it. And so he sends for him. And so he comes out to Elisha's house. Elisha doesn't even go out to see him. He just sends a servant out and says, hey, go dip in the Jordan seven times. You'll be healed. Naaman's offended at this because he can't even give me the time of day. I've come all the way from another nation. I am second in command over there. I'm the king's right hand. He won't come out and see me. He's upset. He decides he's going home. His servants talk some sense into him and said, look, it's a simple thing. Just go dip seven times and maybe it'll work. So, uh, yeah, right. So he goes back, he dips. Sure enough, it says his skin, he had leprosy, it became like the skin of a baby. He's healed. He comes back to Elisha's house, and he's like, wants to give him all these gifts. Elisha refuses everything. And so then he says, Okay, well, then allow me this. And this is what he says. Naaman responded, If you're taking notes, it's in 2 Kings 5 17 through 19. He says, please let your servant be given as much soil as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will no longer offer a burnt offering or a sacrifice to any other god but Yahweh. So he has just committed to serving only Yahweh right here, right? However, in a particular matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master, the king of Aram, because we all know that we have to submit to the authorities over us, we are supposed to do that as long as it's fitting in the Lord. But when it's not fitting in the Lord, we are not to do that. All right? But here, he says, When my master, the king of Aram, goes into the temple of Rimmon to worship, and I, as his right hand man, bow in the temple of Rimmon, when I bow in the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. So Elisha said to him, Go in peace. So right here, these guys would have had precedent. That look, we're in a different land, we're not at home, we're not in our temple, our lives are at stake. Not only that, in these influential places in the kingdom that we're in, I mean, Babylon needs our witness. And how can we affect the nation if we're not in these positions of power? I mean, we are righteous people, we love the Lord, so certainly the Lord would want us to stay here in power than be torched in a furnace, because we can do more good alive than dead. Not only that, if the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever, they would have known that Scripture, because that's what God said He was to the Israelites. If He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and if He'll overlook and say, go in peace to them because of the situation, you know, he didn't say this, Naaman didn't say, I'm going to pray, he just said, I'll bow down in there with him. So he might be praying to Jehovah at that moment, but he's just bowing with him. So these guys could have been like, let's just bow down no one will know we're not praying in fact let's just pray to God while we're down there and just done a compromise that fits with a prior incident in scripture and not been thrown in the furnace so who's going to rescue you from my power I mean after all God knows my heart right if they would have compromised earlier on the food what do you think would have happened here Shadrach, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If this be so, if what be so? Well, if, some translations really butcher that, and they say, if God exists, that's a really poor translation. If this be so, what they're saying is answering to the question that who will rescue you from my power? What God will rescue you from my power. He says, if this is the case, our God, that you're going to throw us in the fire, our God whom we serve is able to rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. So they talk about ability. He's able to do it. Now comes the faith. They said, and He will deliver us. The literal translation is He will. Not He can or He should or He might. He will deliver us out of the hand of God. You, O King. So they make their declaration of faith right here. Then they say this, but if not, they're not saying if God won't deliver us, they're saying, but if we didn't have any of these promises, if none of this were true, that He's going to deliver us, we still wouldn't bow down. Go ahead and burn us. That's what, he's, that's what they're saying. In fact, did you know that this was an act of faith? It wouldn't be faith to say, God's going to deliver us, but if He doesn't, meaning like I'm not sure if He's going to or not, because He might not. Because a lot of people have that kind of faith. They have faith in God's ability, they just don't have confidence that He will do something. But they just said, He will do something. And the reason we know this is faith for them, that they weren't being two-sided on this thing is because in Hebrews 11, verse 33 and 34, it says, by faith some of them quenched fires. So we know this was done by faith. Well, where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing the Word. Alright? That's what Romans tells us. Well, what kind of word could they possibly have used? What promise did they have to stand when they went in the fiery furnace? See, a hundred years earlier, the prophet Isaiah said some things that I believe they were standing on. I mean, it's not in Scripture, but it says they did it in faith. And we know faith comes from the Word, so we know they had to stand on Word somewhere. And in Isaiah 43, 1 and 2, it says this. Now, this is what the Lord says, the one who created you, Jacob, and the one who formed you, Israel, do not fear. Did you hear that? Do not fear. Do not fear. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. I will be with you when you pass through the waters. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. You will not be scorched when you walk through the fire and the flame will not burn you. Man, I believe they knew those Scriptures. And so they're like, the Lord will deliver us. Verse 19, Then Nebuchadnezzar filled with rage and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Man, he's done with second chances now. He gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary. Now I was reading that historically they say that back at that time they didn't have the ability to heat anything up more than about 1,700 degrees. It's a bit hot. And he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So these men in their trousers, robes, head coverings, and other clothes were tied up and thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. So the king's command was so urgent and the furnace extremely hot, the raging flames killed those men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Uh, The heat was so intense when other people got close enough, they just died. Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisors, didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Notice the word bound. Like they had them tied up. Yes, of course, Your Majesty, they replied to the king. He exclaimed, look, I see four men, not tied, walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of God's. The word really should be angels, I believe. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace. I mean, imagine um, there's another historian that wrote on this back at this time, and, and in that account, he says that uh, the first thing that alerted them that they weren't dead in there is they began to sing. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but you can imagine what that would be like looking at a roaring furnace that someone had just been thrown in. Suddenly, you hear people singing in there? What is going on? And then you see them walking around like, what? So Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. When the satraps, prefects, governors, and king's advisors gathered around them, they saw that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men. Not a hair of their heads was singed. Their robes were unaffected. There was no smell of fire on them. You know, the smell of smoke really hangs to clothes. They didn't even have that. Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he sent his angels. See here, he identifies it as an angel. Rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I issue a decree that any one of any people, nation or language, who say anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and his house made a garbage dump. But there is no other God who is able to deliver like this. Then the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. I think I can finish in 10 minutes. And I know you've been here for a long time. Is that okay? The real question is, is anyone brave enough to say no? No. Let's go to Daniel chapter six. Now, the book of Daniel was not written in the sequence of the events they happened. The first several chapters were, and then it begins to really jump around. And many of the later chapters actually took place inside of the first earlier chapters. And so don't read the book of Daniel completely in sequence like that, or or see it in sequence. Now, what had just happened was um, belt. Belshazzar the king, you know the hand had written on the wall, he was judged and um, in verse 30 of chapter 5 it says that very night Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans was killed. I believe this would have been uh, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. And then Darius the Mede received the kingdom at the age of 62. And Darius and Cyrus, uh, Cyrus would have been Darius's nephew and so um, Darius the uncle took the kingship and, of, of this territory. So Daniel is now 80 plus years old. Okay, he's pretty old. He's lived a life. And man of integrity that he is. Let's begin reading in verse 1. Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom. Well, there was 120 provinces, so he needed 120 governors or whatever a satrap is. Stationed throughout the realm. And over them, three administrators. So there was three guys over those 120. One of these three was Daniel. These satraps would accompany them or be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit. Why did he have an extraordinary spirit? Because he was a man of no compromise, a man of integrity, a man who honored God. So the king planned to set him over the whole realm. The administrators and satraps therefore kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom. But they could find no charge or corruption for he was trustworthy and no negligence or corruption was found in him. That's amazing. Like they could just find nothing wrong with him. Then these men said, we will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God." So the administrators and satraps went together to the king and said to him, May King Darius live forever. All the administrators of the kingdom, that's not true, that's a lie because Daniel wasn't with him. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, advisors and governors have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for 30 days anyone who petitions any god except, or man except you, the king will be thrown into the lion's den. Therefore your majesty established the edict and signed the document so that as a law of the Medes and Persians it is irrevocable and cannot be changed. So King Darius signed the document. So here we see that it's temporary. It's 30 days. It's only 2 weeks. And that's not what it says. I'm comparing it to today. It's only 2 weeks. Stop having church for only 2 weeks which turned into months. There's still churches that are not being are not, are not meeting. And the alternative was certain death, lion's den. Much like the media tried to say that's what coronavirus was, certain death. Just until the virus passes. Just two weeks. Just don't obey the Lord for two weeks. Because we know the Lord's Word is true and sure and powerful until coronavirus. That trumps the Word of the Lord. I mean, how awful is that? All right. Uh, verse 8, or, so he signs, he signs this thing. I want to point out one more thing before we move on. Notice how the agenda and the narrative are two different things here. The agenda is Daniel's destruction. The narrative is, oh, let's worship you, the king. You're awesome. And in the same way today, the, those evil spirits operate the same way. They push a narrative to make it look like this over here, but the agenda is something sinister, and people saying, well, it's not persecution. Well, not that the governor realizes. But the evil spirits that are telling him to close churches down, that's what they're after. It's the agenda. So we see, see there's a narrative and there's an agenda. That's demonically inspired. Verse 10. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed. So now he's aware. He didn't know it. But he knew it was going on. And then he knows, okay, it was signed. He went into his house. The window in his upper room opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed and gave thanks to God just as he had done before. Couldn't Daniel have just prayed with the window shut and the Lord heard him? Why did he have to... I mean, when persecution comes, is it wrong to flee? No. Jesus even said at one point, when they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. Keep spreading the Gospel. So, running away is not wrong. It could be if you're supposed to stay. Right? It could be if you're supposed to stay. And so, here Daniel goes and he comes into the upper room. And and we're not going to turn there, but in 1 Kings 8.48, this is where King Solomon is dedicating the temple. And when he's dedicating the temple, he prays. And he prays to the Lord and he says, Lord, please hear our prayer. And if at any point in the future our people are carried away captive and they are off in a strange land where they cannot come to the temple to pray, if they will just, just pray towards the temple here, please hear their prayer. That's what Solomon prayed. And so, in, uh, that's why Daniel is opening his window to Jerusalem. He's doing what King Solomon had prayed in, in the face of this edict. And many would call this moral arrogance. But his integrity of heart would not allow him to, to comply publicly and just pray privately. Because he wasn't a man of compromise. So it says he gave thanks to God just as he had done before. Just as was his habit. So he was a man of prayer. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. What a way to be found. I would that we'd all be found that way. So they approached the king and asked about his edict. Didn't you sign an edict that for 30 days any man who petitions any god except for you, the king will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, as the law of the Medes and the Persians, the order stands in and is irrevocable. Then they replied to the king, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles, has ignored you, the king. See, once again, they assign motive to him. They're just ignoring you and the edict that you sign. For he prays three times a day. As soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. He set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. Notice the difference in reaction from Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is enraged. Darius isn't. He's like, "Mm, how did I not think of that? How did this happen? So then these men went to the king and said to him, you as king know It is a law of the Medes and Persians that no edict or ordinance the king establishes can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and he could not sleep. So he sealed this thing shut to have proof that no one rescued him, no one came, got him out. And the seal only further proved the power of God, right? That there was no foul play. And in verse 19, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel. Daniel, servant of the living God, the king said. Has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke with the king. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. They haven't hurt me. For I was found innocent before him. Also, I have not committed a crime against you, my king. This wasn't He was obedient to the Lord, but I believe Daniel here also stood in faith on a promise from the Word for rescue. When you find yourself in the lion's den, when you find yourself sick, when you find yourself against a mountain, against an insurmountable problem, find the Word to stand on that promises your deliverance from that situation. And make that Word be the only thing that's coming out of your mouth, the only thing on your lips, the only thing in your mind, and your deliverance will come. Amen. Daniel here, you know, Hebrews, I, I quoted this earlier, but Hebrews 11.33 says that by faith they shut the mouths of lions. So it was by faith that Daniel did this. It wasn't just that God somehow in His sovereignty sent an angel because Daniel's a cool guy. Right? It was by faith that the angel came and rescued him. Just like the angel came and rescued the three Hebrew boys in the fire. And you say, well, what was the Scripture that Daniel stood on? Well, here's a point of interest. In chapter 9, in verses 1 and 2, now you got to remember, it's not written in sequence. In chapters 9, verses 1 and 2, it says in the first year of King Darius, so right in the beginning of when this guy became king, it says Daniel found something written From Jeremiah. Jeremiah was living during the same time. And he had made some prophecies and wrote some things. And somehow Daniel, across the nations, got a hold of this thing. Because it says he found what Jeremiah wrote. And this is, it quotes in in chapter 9, it quotes what he found. And this is the portion of Scripture that he found. It says, for this is what the Lord says. When 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and you will confirm and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place for i know the plans that i have for you this is the lord's declaration plans for your welfare not for disaster to give you future and a hope You will call to Me and come and pray to Me and I will listen to you. You will seek Me and find Me when you search for Me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. And listen, I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place I deported you from. You have said the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. Well, Daniel was one of those prophets. Daniel finds this in Jeremiah. He goes, "We're going to be restored. The 70 years is up. It's time to go home." And he begins, if you read the rest of the book of Daniel, he begins to pray this out and ask the Lord for it, and the Lord gives him instruction and things like that. But my point is is he had the promise of deliverance. He had the promise of going back to his homeland. So when he goes into the lions den, he knows this promise. Faith comes from that when you know the will of God concerning an issue. And then you can be confident. You can be confident in a man of faith. So let's read the final few verses here. 23, the king was overjoyed and gave orders to take Daniel out of the dens for Daniel was taken out of the den uninjured for he trusted in his God. The king then gave the command and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den. They kind of deserved that. This next part, not so much. They, their children, and their wives. That's just cruel. But that's what this king did. They had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Lion, uh, uh, Daniel went into the den in faith, untouched. These people went into the den, no faith, destroyed. And that shows that the lions were hungry. The lions weren't just sitting there going, "Nah, we're bored. It shows, man, they were vicious. And it was definitely an angel that protected him. It goes on, it says, Then King Darius wrote to those of every people, nation, language, who live in all the earth, May your prosperity abound. I issue a decree that in all my royal domain, people must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. And He endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. And His domain has no end. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs in the heavens and wonders on the earth. For He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Psalm says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all. The Lord delivers you from them all. That is Scripture right there for any affliction you're up against for deliverance. Okay? Psalms, I'll read two more scriptures to you. Psalm 73, verse 26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the rock or the strength of my heart, my portion forever. If you come up against it and you see that, man, your heart, it feels like you're in fear, you know, rebuke the fear because fear is a spirit being. That's what the word tells us. So so deal with the fear, but know that, you know what, in spite of these Feelings or symptoms, right? That the Lord is my rock. The immovable rock. You're anchored on, on Him. And I don't care about my feelings. I don't care about my symptoms. The Lord is my rock. And He is my portion forever. And finally, 1 Corinthians 15. 57 and 58. But thanks be to God. Who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, He causes us to triumph, another scripture says. Therefore, my dear brothers, be, because victory is assured. Therefore, dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work. Knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain steadfast, immovable, fastened on the rock, looking to the promise, recognizing the deliverer, and knowing that, you know, it's not over. When Daniel was in the lion's den, it wasn't over. When they were in the fiery furnace, it wasn't over. You can stand with me. Thank you so much for being such good listeners and going so long this morning. Um, I would say... Please go on to our Facebook page and like the page. It might even be wise to put star it. You can make so that like anytime we post something, it will always, you will see it. Um, The purpose for that is, is I don't know what this coming weekend holds, the schedule, how it's going to look as we walk through this with the Ethiopian congregation and so, be watching the Facebook page for any announcement. If there's going to be any service changes or time changes, that's where you'll find It's on the Facebook page. The Church of the Word International, uh, Lancaster, is the uh, Facebook page. Alright, let's pray. Father, we thank You so much that our strength comes from You. And we look to You as the source of our strength. Father, I ask You to infuse us with Your strength, with Your personality, with Your likeness, Father. That Your Spirit just fill us right now in this moment and that Your peace rest upon us. Peace be upon every mind here. Peace be upon every home. Peace be upon every body in the name of Jesus. And Father, we recognize You as Lord. We commit to walking with You through it all. In Jesus' name, and amen. Well, one way that we love God is by loving one another. Everyone is invited downstairs to a time of fellowship. There's some finger foods. Those of you that want to go to the baptism, we will be leaving shortly. Good morning.
1: Welcome to Church of the Word International. We're so glad that you're here with us today to celebrate the goodness of the Lord. Amen. I'd like to encourage you in your worship time in the Word of God, our sure word of prophecy... How many of you know the word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? It's forever settled in heaven. It doesn't change according to situations or cultures or anything. It's the same. It's going to be in heaven for all of eternity. Praise the Lord. And in Psalms 105, it says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make it known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him. Sing praises unto him. Sing praises for all his wondrous works that he's done for you personally and in life. Glory be his name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength and seek his face forevermore. Remember his marvelous works that he has done. Put him in remembrance for what he's done for you. His wonders and the judgments of his mouth I will sing, say, see, take it personal. I will sing praises to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. My meditation of Him shall be sweet, and I will be glad in the Lord. I will see. Use your will to worship the Lord and give Him praise and honor because He is worthy of it. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Stand together you, as family in the in here and let's worship and put him in remembrance of all the great and wonderful things he's done We're thankful that you sent your son Jesus as a representation of your heart, of your love, of your mercy, of your grace, of your faith. I'm reminded of the story of the undefeated, or the defeated, the abandoned, the rejected, the unloved man, the leper, who saw Jesus, the representation of you, Father, and he cried out with a loud voice. Jesus, have mercy on me. Have mercy. And Jesus ran to the leper and threw his arms around him, the rejected one, the thrown away one, and expressed the heart of the Father and then turned to his disciples and hugged each one and said, do this as I have done. Don't be afraid. Be full of the faith of my Father. Be full of his mercy. Be full of his grace. Be full of his love. And Father, this morning, that's what we desire. More of your heart. An upgrade, an expansion of your heart, Father. Your mercy, your grace, your love, your faith. Father, fill us up by the power of your Holy Spirit with more of you. More of your compassionate heart. As you moved upon the earth through your son, Jesus, as an example of how you wanted us to move upon the earth, Father, we say yes to the call. We thank thank you that we're anointed, appointed, and called to be as Jesus on the earth today. And you've given us that same grace, that same authority. We sit at the, the heavenly seat, undefeated with the power and the authority of Jesus Christ operating in each one of us. Father, we say yes to the call, yes to the anointing, yes to the appointment. We say yes. Let's say that, church. Yes. I say yes. Yes to you, Jesus. I say yes. We thank you for the more sure word of prophecy, the word of God working in our lives. And we give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 Well, we're inviting the children of the church to come forward right here. Come on up. Come on up. Children, come on up. All of you, each one of you. We thank you, Father. We thank you for the beautiful breath fresh breath of children in our church. Look at them come, so many of them. Amen.
2: As you can see, these are a lot of our children. Some of them are not here uh, this morning. However, um, here at CWI, we talk a lot about increase. Well, our children's ministry has continued to increase. So starting starting in September, we're adding a class for five- and six-year-olds, So we'll have a preschool class, which is three and four-year-olds, 5K, which is five and six, elementary will be grade one and grade two, and our juniors class will be third, fourth, and fifth grade. We'll be able to minister more effectively to the kids. Um, So we're looking forward to those changes. We'll have signs where they're supposed to go and all that stuff. For now, we'll have the preschoolers stand in the center, and we're going to share a song that they learned at VBS about Jesus being the light of the world. The world is searching for an answer, a ray of hope in a hopeless world. Who can we turn to? All right, Miss Carol is going to uh, direct our elementary class. I am one of the teachers
3: for the K through uh, second grade this year. And one of the things that we emphasized this summer was the Bible, because you know the Bible is our most important book in the whole world. And you can find out a lot about it in Psalm 119. There's a lot of verses that talk about it. we want the children to understand that this is our sword. This is one of our weapons, and because this contains God's word. And it's all God's word, and it's the only truth that we have, the only thing we can stand on. So in order for the children to do that, they've got to learn to use their Bibles. And I would encourage you that each child has a Bible, not a Bible storybook to come, but a Bible with all the books in because it's a library, has 66 books in it. And we have to know how to find the books in the library. So what we're doing is teaching them the song that has the books of the Bible, because singing is a good way to remember things. And I, we're missing a few children, but our most voracious singer here is here today. So she will make up for all the other ones, I'm sure. And enjoy as they sing, first of all, the books of the Old Testament, and then the books of the New Testament. Two songs t
1: mm-hmm.
4: A little shy they're much more animated in class <laughs> I was really trying to get them to dance I thought I almost had one but all right so that was a really fast song that first one and that's a lot of books of the Bible but they did a really good job so the next class we have is our juniors class come on up guys spread out oh we have some bashful children This all right you guys need to learn to have fun with the Lord Amen. yes big sister to the rescue <laughs> Oh, <laughs> Okay. So these guys are learning the same verse and with different teachers. I'm actually not in their room. And so um, they found a different books of the Bible song to do, which is, you know, a little bit more cooler for the older age group. So they're going to share their Old and New Testament rap.
0: It's time to learn the book. One, two, three. These are the books of the Bible. When we read them, it makes us stronger. And we learn about our heavenly father. When we read all the books of the
2: Bible, these are the books of the Bible. When we read them, it makes us stronger. And we learn about our heavenly father.
5: Well, thank you, kids, and thank you, Daryl and Reba, for leading our children and all the children's ministry workers. We so appreciate you all. All right, well, we are going to uh, prepare to return our tithe and offering to the Lord this morning, so if you need a cash envelope for your giving, raise your hand. Do we have any guests here with us for the very first time? We'd like to welcome you to CWI. If you're here for the first time, raise your hand. Right here, welcome. We trust you're not here by accident and that the Lord has something to minister to your heart this morning. So um, uh, the ushers could get her an information card um, if you'd like to fill it out and put down any prayer requests you may have. We'd be happy to agree in prayer with you. So we're just going to quickly, um, a word of encouragement as we return the tithe that the word in proverbs says to trust in the Lord with all of our heart so he you know tithing is an outward demonstration of an inward belief that he's our source so we're going to trust the Lord with all of our heart and lean on his understanding not our own and that includes when you fill out your calendar that includes uh, when you make your plans You don't check your bank account to you don't lean on that understanding for yet saying your yes or your no In all of our ways, we acknowledge him. All of our ways, we're giving ear to him and considering his ways and considering what he has to say on the matter. And then as he directs our path, we can have faith and trust that he will provide for that path. Amen? All right, let's pray over our tithe. Father, we are so grateful to you that we are not on our own that we can rely completely on you, that we can trust you and trust in your goodness for us. And Father, I thank you that you're revealing your path for our lives and that we, as we follow you, that we'll be provided for and that your peace surrounds us. We just give you all the praise and all the glory in the name of Jesus. amen. Amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets and the people will give to the Lord. All right, a couple things to mention in our bulletin. We have our CityGate uh, sign-up sheet in the back. If you would like to be part of our local uh, ministry outreach to the um, those in Lancaster and Columbia, you can sign up and be a part of that. We'd like to welcome our new members to the youth group. We have a group of, yes, <laughs> they're all very excited to be joining and stepping up and, um, you know gaining some independence here. So we're having a uh, pool party this Friday night for the youth and the young adults. So not just uh, teenagers, also our young 20-something. Talk to Josh and Alicia. We do have our missions offering we will be receiving soon as well.
0: So. well good morning. So, to let you know, last week we talked about... Or no, two weeks ago when I was here, we talked about the uh, this book being down in the bookstore. So, we have replenished that. There's a whole bunch of them there now. It's called The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates. It's a very, very timely book for the time and season that we're in. So, I encourage you to pick up a copy. They're $14. They're down in the bookstore. If you are giving in the missions offering you can go ahead and prepare that offering now and we will take that in just a moment for those of you that are are newer here on the last Sunday of every month we take a missions offering that is dedicated to goes to missions all around the world even here in the United States and so any place that you designate that money to go a hundred percent of it goes there we don't keep any percentage or anything like that and um, we, are, we do this together because we like to, at the end of the year, look at the impact that we made together all around the world. And so it doesn't have to be um, a mission that we have, have cleared, just make it out to um, wherever you're sending it. Uh, the check should be made out to CWI, but the money will just go through and on to the place that you want it to go. If you don't have a particular place, you can put down our general missions fund. And it will go into that fund and then get dispersed to, to missions as they need it. So if you would, take a hold of that offering and let's pray over it. Father, I thank You, Lord, that You are the multiplier, that You are the one who brings supernatural resources into our possession. And so, Father, we release this seed into the kingdom of God so that it might flourish and enable those around the world to preach the gospel, to bring the gospel to those who need it. And Father, I ask that you would do as you've promised and multiply it into our account so that we can do even more. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. The ushers can wait on the people and the people. If you need it, uh, did you need, anyone need a cash envelope? Okay, in the back over here, and here's a few. So hold up on the baskets for a minute. Let's give them time to catch up. And I want to cover a few announcements, and then we're going to take a short break, because I'm going to preach a very long sermon. (laughs) And I'm not joking. There's no service coming after us, and so um, I'm going to make these few announcements, and I'm going to give you like five minutes to go have a potty break, because you're going to want one by the time I'm done. (laughs) And um, also, if you're wondering what this camera in the middle is, we're doing a Facebook Live today, a one-time event, uh, so don't plan on it next week. But uh, we're going to be doing that in a moment when the sermon starts, and uh, that's what the camera is about if you're looking at that. All right, a few more uh, things. Go ahead and pass the baskets. A few more things that I would like to uh, bring to your attention. We are going to, after the service, immediately after the service, we will be having a baptism. And it's not going to be here at the church. It's going to be at a private home. And um, we are going to commute, those of us who, who are going to be a part of it, are going to commute from here to there. Uh, everyone is welcome, but please don't all come. <laughs> because it's at a private home, um, and someone who doesn't really attend this church, so um, they may have come as guests before, I'm not, I don't quite remember, but uh, we don't want to inundate them with a flood of people, so a few of you are certainly welcome to come and um, there's not a sign-up sheet, um, but but immediately after the service, I'm gonna I'm gonna be uh, dressing as well as um, um, Joanne. Would you wave at us? Joanne is going to be baptized, and where's Kaylee? Over here, and Kaylee is going to uh, be baptized. <laughs> Armada Commission is the Armada Bible School, and we had did that several years in a row, and now it's been several years since we have had our Armada Commission Bible School functioning. And we are going to be opening that again starting on September 22nd. And it, is, it runs through June 11th, and it is Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, okay, four days a week, and it goes from 8.30 a.m. until 12.15 noon. And lunch will be served every day at that, at that Bible school. Now, basically what, it, what we do is we equip the students for, and prepare them for ministry. At the end of the school season, then at the Armada Landmark in June, we will have a commissioning for those students and a graduation. And so um, there's many, many, many different topics in, in leadership, ministry. There's a Bible survey course, a Holy Spirit course, a spiritual life course, the work of Christ course. You know, of course, I'm, this covers all of Christianity. Is what we're what i all these things I'm saying, knowing God. And so it's a it's a very, very powerful course. And I would urge anybody to uh, consider it in a matter of prayer on whether or not they should take it. Now it is. The cost of the course is $5,000. That includes all your, um, let's see here, includes your meals, books, and the mission trip. We're planning on taking a mission trip with the team or the school to Guatemala, and we'll spend time down there in practical missions training. And um, I'm really excited about it. The teachers will be uh, Pastor Bill Hake from York. He's the dean of the school, uh, myself. Uh, Pastor Dale Armstrong, and we're going to have some guest ministers come in from other around the world, and um, it's going to be an exciting time. So if you are interested in that, would like more information, there's a brochure I can give you on it, and um, we would be, I'm, I'm super excited about it, let's put it that way. We've been praying that this would start again for quite a while.